Welcome back, everyone, to a special edition of the Educational AD Podcast. Uh, we're going to have our guests on in just a moment, but we want to give a shout out to our podcast partners, the Global Community of Women in High School Sports, We Coach, and the Florida Coaches Coalition. These are three great organizations that you should really be a part of, uh, so please check them out. And now, don't fast forward. Uh, take three minutes and listen to our podcast sponsors who help make this possible. Bring your school's legacy to life with Vital Signs Wall of Fame. The Wall of Fame is an interactive touchscreen console that highlights your school's top performers, both past and present, from athletics, academics, and the arts. But it's so much more than that. Wall of Fame is an extensive content program that allows you to tell more compelling stories that will better engage your audience. Go to vitalsignswalloffame.com to check out their products. And when you're ready to buy, use the link vitalsignswalloffame.com slash Jake for a 5% discount. That's vitalsignswalloffame.com slash Jake. We also want to thank Hometown Ticketing, the leading digital ticketing provider to schools and colleges. Go to Hometown Ticketing. They're going to show you how to set up and sell tickets online for your events, not just games, but things like school plays, concerts, uh, dances, even graduation. And every step of the way, Hometown is going to provide you with a dedicated client success manager that's providing hands-on support. That's every step of the way. Go to hometownticketing.com to get started. That's hometownticketing.com. We also want to say thank you to Gipper. Go to Gipper.com and see how athletic directors are creating world-class marketing content for their school's social media channels. You can do it in seconds on any device, and you don't need any design experience. Go to Gipper.com and use our code ADPOD10, and you'll get 10% off. That's Gipper.com. Create custom content for your school's social media channel. We want to say thanks to Huddle. Go to Huddle.com and change the way you see the game. As an athletic director, we were a huddle school, and huddle provided our coaches, our student-athletes, our teams, the tools they needed to compete at the highest level. It's a professional-grade solution to the challenges that you and your coaches face, and huddle can help you just like they helped us. At huddle, we believe in sports, and teams believe in huddle. Join the 6 million users and turn your school into a huddle school. We also want to say thanks to Snap Mobile. Snap Mobile is the parent company for the entire Snap platform, including Snap Store, Snap Manage, Snap Connect, and Snap Raise, which is their fundraising platform. We use Snap Raise with great success, and you can too. They've helped schools just like yours raise over $700 million. And Snap Raise even has an option where you can get your funding before you actually start your fundraiser. I don't think anybody else does that. Go to snapraise.com to get started. That's snapraise.com. We also want to say thanks to Sideline Interactive Indoor Score Tables and Video Boards. Their products not only generate income for your department, but they also create the ultimate game day experience for your student-athletes. Go to sidelineinteractive.com, schedule a live web demo, and see their tables and their boards in action. That's sidelineinteractive.com. We also want to thank Final Forms. Final Forms is here to prepare your best season ever. Uh, Final Forms will help you communicate with coaches, with parents, with athletes. 
They'll help you deal with all the reports that come across your desk and also meet state, district, and department requirements. You know, it's time that you talk to a team that's walked in your shoes, somebody who gets it. To take the next steps, go to finalforms.com slash Jake. That's finalforms.com slash Jake to get started with Final Forms. And we want to say thank you to Athletic Surveys by Lifetrack. Athletic surveys are a quick, easy, and affordable way for you to collect comprehensive data. It allows you to evaluate and improve your entire program. Athletic directors typically only hear from that 2%, a disgruntled parent or maybe a frustrated student athlete. And we need to hear from those uh, folks. But you also need to hear from the 98% that really love and support your program. And that's a tremendously valuable tool to have when you're talking with that disgruntled parent or your boss or your school board. Go to athleticsurveys.com and find out how they can help you with a custom survey for your program. That's athleticsurveys.com. Welcome back, everyone, to the Educational AD Podcast. We've got a couple of uh, really cool guests today. Uh, we're going to be visiting with Elizabeth and Nancy Jorgensen, mother and daughter. Uh, they, among other things, uh, co-authored uh, a really cool book, and that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, Gwen Jorgensen, uh, USA's first Olympic gold medal triathlete. Um, you know, they collaborate on this book to, you know, kind of help celebrate their sister's accomplishments and also, uh, you know, to inspire and sister and daughter, uh, and also inspire, uh, the next generation, uh, just a little bit about them, but I'm going to let them, uh, talk about themselves as well. Uh, Elizabeth is an award-winning high school language arts teacher. She's also the author of, uh, a number of, uh, publications. Uh, Nancy is a retired, uh, choral music teacher. Uh, and also the author of a couple of education books uh, and, and very, again, very active, you know, publishing, writing, etc. So Elizabeth and Nancy Jorgensen, welcome to the Educational AD Podcast. Thank you for well, having us. Yes, we're happy to be here. Well, again, um, you reached out a, a while back and kind of introduced yourself, told me about the book, uh, which I, you know, got and have read uh, outstanding book uh in, in ways it makes me wish i was still uh uh you know teaching and coaching and uh and helping develop coaches we could use it uh for one of our book studies but uh let's go ahead and jump right in uh we always like to let our listeners have a chance to get to know our guests now i, I know you're going to be talking about gwen and her story but let's hear a little bit about you you know where you were born grew up you know maybe take us up through those you know high school college and teaching years and uh then we'll take a, a deeper dive into the book. So uh, let's see, Nancy, you're on the top of my screen. So uh, let's start with you. You know, what's the Nancy Jorgensen origin story? Well, I'm a lifelong Wisconsin resident, um, was born here and grew up here and went to college here and worked here and raised a family here. Um, I, I went, I, when I was in high school, it was pre-Title IX. And so there weren't as many opportunities for women as there are now. And I, I think that's a big contrast between the way I was brought up and the opportunities I had and what my daughters have now. They, there's just so much more, um, which is a great thing. And um, I taught choir 
in at the high school level for many years and worked closely with um, at, uh, activity directors. So, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with um, many of my groups were competitive. And so we were kind of under that umbrella of competition, but also extracurricular. And so um, I not only did I teach academically, but I, I, I conducted groups that were kind of extracurricular as well. No, absolutely. Uh, again, my, uh, you know, I went to high school in the early 70s, college in the late 70s, you know, and my wife was from that era. So she was, uh, you know, there during, you know, that Title IX period. So back in your day as a, a high school and college uh, student, what was your uh, sport or activity? And uh, are you still doing that uh, now as a, as a retired teacher? <laughs> you know, I was, I've always been lifelong into music. And so my activities were piano lessons and singing in the choir. Um, and, you know, I, I bring up Title IX because there weren't that many opportunities or they weren't promoted as much when I was in high school. I graduated in 72. And so um, even my sister after me was on a track team, but that just wasn't available um, when I was in high school. And, you know, I think cheerleading was the big thing for girls my age, um, <laughs> but I, I just kind of wasn't into that. And I don't think I was cool enough or popular enough. It seemed to be the girls that got on the cheerleading squad. And so, you know, I, um, I pursued my music and ended up doing it professionally. And obviously that worked out very well for you. Uh, uh, Liz, um, you know, what's your story? Uh, again, I, I assume it started in Wisconsin. <laughs> yes, I was born in the same county that I currently reside in. Um, and so I've, you know, grown up here and mom and I still live very close to one another, which is great. I was actually over at her house last night for dinner. Um, and, you know, I feel very fortunate to have mom and dad so close. Um but I grew up very active. Um, mom and dad asked us to play a sport every season and play an instrument. And so I was on the basketball team. And then I supplemented that with track and field and cross country. And I also played violin and viola, both at my high school and then also in the Milwaukee Youth Symphony Orchestra. Um, and I've always been active, like in school, I was on the newspaper, the yearbook, I was joining all these clubs and having these leadership roles and ended up deciding I was going to go to college. I didn't really know what, like for what, um, I thought I wanted to do something with communication and I thought maybe public relations. I, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And mom, I think saw talent in me that I didn't see in myself. I'd always babysat and I'd always worked at the YMCA doing like camps or coaching. Um, and mom said, you know, you, you might want to consider getting your teaching license. And, you know, I, I didn't, I never really saw myself that way, but I think she saw talents in me that I didn't see in myself. And so I, in addition to picking up a journalism major, I also picked up a education uh, major and ended up then finding a job, which I have been at for 18 years, teaching creative writing and journalism. Um, and it was actually a really fun story because mom and I got to work together for how many years was it? Do you know? It must have been about 10 years. It sounds about right to me too. Yeah. So we worked for 10 years before she then retired and I have stayed since she's left me. <laughs> 
Well, and again, I, I can relate to that so much uh, with our own kids. You know, uh, you know, my wife was a career teacher and coach and, you know, our three kids, you know, grew up, you know, doing sports and, you know, working at our own sports camps that we offered as coaches and at our school. I think they all three would have been great teachers. They went into other, uh, you know, careers and you know, doing very well. But I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um you know, the, the music, um, I, I remember as a, a kid, I think piano lessons were discussed at one point. I mean, I'd been in the fourth or fifth grade, but I, I remember the discussion, but nothing ever happened. Uh, but I was always in high school and college, uh, not so much anymore, but I was always a little bit jealous of uh, that, you know, kid or person that could walk into the room and there's a piano, just start playing the piano or, you know, the person, you know, playing the guitar, um, uh, you know, I wish I would have, uh, you know, maybe uh, pursued that along with, you know, the sports background. Um, let's go and um, talk a little bit about, you know, the educational part, because again, you know, many of our guests, you know, they, before they were athletic directors, they were in the classroom, which both of you were. Um, Liz, let's go and start with you on this one. Um, what are some things that, um, you know, maybe from those first years of teaching, uh, some of those lessons learned that uh, have stuck with you, uh, you know, for your life uh, that you, you, oh, who knows, maybe even had an impact in helping write the book, uh, you know, any uh, uh, epiphany moments uh, from your early teaching career? I didn't like the first couple of years. <laughs> I, you know, I feel like, Every couple of months, I was like, I don't want to do this. I was looking for different jobs. And I think one of the pivotal moments for me was actually when I started coaching cross country and track at, at my high school. I got to know the kids on a different level. I also got to know the community in a different way, um, you know, and you don't coach for the money. And I, I you know, I made the fateful error of figuring out like the the amount of money I was making per hour. And it was something oh, like 53 no, cents. No, right. <laughs> right. But it really it changed the way that I viewed my school, my students, the families. I saw like them as real people. Um, and I saw the contribution then that I could have to helping them reach their goal. Um, and, you know, since then, I really haven't questioned staying. And we've seen a lot of changes um, in terms of education and politics, especially in our state of Wisconsin. Um, but that's, it's just helped me have a different whole person lens of the students. Like I see them now and I understand that, you know, they're also on their sport team and they're also working and they also go home to these families, just like, just like I do. You know, um, uh, I needed you um, uh, when I was an athletic director, uh, I would give that very same pitch to teachers every year. We'd welcome the new teachers and we talked to the entire faculty, you know, Hey, we're looking for, um, you know, enthusiastic uh, people to come out and help, you know, maybe it's as an assistant coach, maybe it's as a scorekeeper, you know, maybe it's just a fan, you know, come out and, and watch your students in a different environment. Uh, and again, you know, exactly what I'm talking about. Um, Nancy, uh, you, you didn't coach sports, but you coached, uh, other teams you talked about. And again, uh, one of my, um, I don't know if it's a pet peeve. It's, it's not a pet peeve. I'm searching for the right word for it, but, uh, I would always use the term co-curricular instead of extracurricular. And I know there's a proper way to use both, but, uh, um, what were some of the experiences that you had as a coach for your activities that you felt were, 
let's say, life impacting for you as an educator? Right. Um, so we were co-curricular because some of our classes <laughs> uh, extended past the day. And so we would put on music theater productions, which would start in the final period of the day. And then those kids would just stay right on. And so in the in a very true sense, we were both. They received a credit, but they also had to put in a lot of extra hours um, after the school day. And I think, you know, I really got to see um, that what what is made up of talent and passion and that so many kids <laughs> um, have a passion for something and are either very talented at it or are kind of waiting to come into that talent that they that they hope to someday have and that those things don't always those timelines don't always coincide that some kids just really love something but maybe they're not at the level they're at in the moment and some of them will get there, but just on a different timeline. And that re that very much relates to the book we wrote. And my younger daughter, Gwen, who um, just loved swimming and wanted to be just the very best at it. And that didn't happen on her timeline. And she had, she had that talent develop later, or she had other talents that developed later. And the passion for those then kicked in on a different timeline. And I just think every kid, I, I saw kids who in my, when I was teaching, there was, there's a girl who um, never played a lead. Um, she wanted to play a lead, but just at, in high school, wasn't ready for that. She's now a professional opera singer. She makes her living as a performer. She travels the country. And I know in high school, she was probably disappointed in the results of the auditions, but her time came later. And I think that's just true for so many kids that um, everybody everybody achieves at a different rate and your time is coming. It might be in what you love now. It might be in something that you love in the future, but everybody's different. I, I love that uh, use of those two, two words, you know, talent and passion. Uh, you know, in, in my role as an athletic director, I, I would have parents that would, you know, frequently come and talk about their child's passion for, you know, pick the sport, you know, basketball. Well, you know, your son is uh, a freshman and he's currently, you know, four foot six inches tall, uh, probably not going to be the next LeBron, but hey, we've got a great soccer program or cross country and just trying to take that passion for athletics uh, and, and, and find the right fit for it. So, uh, great, great point. For our listeners, uh, our guests today are Elizabeth and Nancy Jorgensen, you know, mother and daughter, and they are the co-authors of a really cool book about sister and daughter, uh, Gwen Jorgensen, USA's first Olympic gold medalist in the triathlon. We're going to hear about the book and hear a little bit more about them too, but let's go and take our first break. This is the Educational AD Podcast. We want to thank our good friends at Vital Signs Wall of Fame for their support of the podcast. The Wall of Fame is an interactive touchscreen video console that highlights your school's top performers, both past and present, in athletics, academics, and the arts, but it's so much more than that. The Wall of Fame allows you to tell more compelling stories that uh, will better engage your audience. And if you go to vitalsignswalloffame.com, you can check out all of their consoles. And when you're ready to buy, 
Use the link vitalsignswalloffame.com slash Jake, and you'll get 5% off. That's vitalsignswalloffame.com slash Jake. Check them out today. We also want to say thank you to Hometown Ticketing, the leading digital ticketing provider to schools and colleges. Go to hometownticketing.com. They're going to show you how to set up and sell tickets for all of your events, not just athletic events, but things like school plays, concerts, dances, even graduation. They'll show you how to scan the attendees that come to your events and collect your revenue. And every step of the way, you'll have a dedicated client success manager that's providing hands-on support. That's every step of the way. Go to hometownticketing.com and get started today. Hometown Ticketing, simple and easy online ticketing. Welcome back, everyone, to the Educational AD Podcast. We're visiting today with Nancy and Liz Jorgensen, uh, authors of a really cool book. And we're going to hear about that in our next segment. But right now... Uh, let's talk mentoring. Uh, and I know you talk about this in the book, you know, from your sister's uh, perspective as well, but um, none of us get to where we're at on our own. Uh, I use the phrase, you know, my mentors were, you know, either patting me on the back or kicking me in the butt, you know, whatever I, I may have needed at that moment. Um, so who are some of the mentors that you have had in your life and in your career? Nancy, let's go and start with you. When I was teaching, I always had huge groups of choirs. And so we would have, um, I had one group of freshman boys, 80 freshman boys all in the room at the same time. <laughs> I had another concert choir group of 150. And so I never taught in the room alone. There were always such huge numbers that I, I was a team teacher. We always had a couple of choir directors in the room. And I feel like over the years, those were my mentors, people that I worked with every single day. Sometimes they were older than I was with more experience, and sometimes they were younger. My last um, five or six years of teaching, I was co-teaching with someone who was about Elizabeth's age much younger than I was. And she just brought so many fresh ideas into the classroom, things that, um, ideas maybe that I'd been using for 20 years, she kind of disrupted that thought process and, and brought in a fresh perspective. Um, before she was there, I taught with someone who um, was about five or seven years older than I was. And she had just that much more experience, especially when I was younger and, and I learned from her as well. Um, and then we would we would mount these gigantic music theater productions um, with costumes and you know uh, a professional pit orchestra and we hired a professional director choreographer so I was really more the producer than the director of these musicals um, but he he came in and he was um, he was a professional music theater director. He had a community theater in Warsaw, Indiana, and would come in and spend a couple of weeks with our kids. And just from the performance perspective, I learned so much from him about how to get kids to perform. And even though he was working with, with professionals most of the time, he was a teacher as well and knew how to knew how to get the best out of kids. And so I feel like my whole career I had these daily mentors of all different stripes, you know, some with great experience, some brand new teachers who wanted who were excited about the new idea, some professionals who were not in education. And they really, they really shaped and taught me so much. 
Yeah. And you bring up a great point about, you know, you know, mentors, they don't always have to be, you know, that wise old, uh, you know, veteran, <laughs> you know, there's things that we can learn uh, from people at a number of different ages that have a mentoring effect on us. Liz, how about you? Who have been some of the mentors in your career? You know, I think of them as coaches and I think that everyone needs a coach and we need them in different parts of our lives. And when I was in college, I'd mentioned this before that, you know, I was kind of lost. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I ended up finding myself as a RA of, of in, in a all girl dorm. And my hall director, she was a fantastic mentor for me. She would meet with me once a week and she'd just ask me how things were going. And she was really careful with the questions that she asked me. And I remember that at the end of every meeting, she would say, how can I help you? And it, it's a question where you can't say no, right? It's like you had to find a place where I was asking for help. And then the next week, she'd follow up with me. And so it was this constant accountability of, here's what we said we were going to work on. Here's how I helped you. How did that go? And then following up and then making a plan for the next week. She encouraged me to branch out. You know, I was saying I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so she said, get an internship, find one. I was like, well, I don't know in what. And she's like, well, you love basketball. And so I ended up getting an internship at the Milwaukee Bucks. I sat on the, the court with the players. Like it was a fantastic experience that I don't think I would have put myself in had somebody not said like, you have a passion, you're into this. Like, let's find a way to get you in there. Um, and, you know, maybe it was kind of within her scope as my hall director um, that, you know, she obviously wanted me to be engaged in the community and doing well academically and personally, but she really cared about me as a person um, and was very instrumental in me believing in myself and also figuring out how I can rely on other people. When somebody offers help, how can I articulate? Well, first I have to identify, like, what do I really need? And then how can I put it into words in a way that they can um, help me? I, uh, maybe about five or six years ago, I started working out pretty intensely and I hired a coach and it's the same thing, right? He, every week we meet together for an hour and we go over what I've done in the past week. And I just think whatever you're doing, personally, professionally, athletically, financially, like we all need coaches. Um, even, even the best in the world have coaches and that's, that's how we get better. All right. Uh, I, I love the emphasis on coaching, uh, but I got to go back. Okay. Why are you not still with the Milwaukee Bucks? That sounds, well, right. from my <laughs> perspective, that sounds like a pretty cool gig. It was so the late nights mm -hmm. were a lot. That's not my personality. I like to go to bed really early. <laughs> um, and then it was also, I saw what it was to be at that level in terms of travel. Um, they're always on the road and that's not something that I enjoy. I loved the event planning part of it. I loved that there were these big events to be part of. I loved the connection with the media and also the athletic side of it. Um, I was with them for a couple of seasons and we went to the playoffs and that was just beyond, right? It was so exciting to be part of a playoff game with the team that you're with. Um, but ultimately I just decided there were, there were too many things that I wasn't into. Um, it was also really hard for me. Um, 
I was one of like two females I saw the entire time I was there, like in terms of my working surroundings. And it was so bizarre and coming, you know, I lived in this all girl dorm. And then it's like, I have the reverse at my, at the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't know. There were just many things that I was like, I want to try something else. And Kelly Beamer, my mentor at the time, she said, well, let's, let's look at what you like. And then let's try to find something else. And so I ended up interning then at Children's Hospital, kind of doing a similar thing, except for a nonprofit where there wasn't travel and there weren't late hours. Um, and I, you know, I really liked that too. Um, but there too, I realized a lot of what I didn't like and then was leaning towards education in some ways. No, and and that's, that's a great a- answer. You know, there's a cool job, but you know, by the way, it involves all of this. So yeah, the travel on late nights, I definitely get it. Um, for our listeners, uh, our guests today are Nancy Jorgensen and her daughter Liz Jorgensen. Uh, they're the authors of a really cool book, which we're going to hear about when we come back from our next break. So please stay with us. This is the Educational AD Podcast. We also want to say thank you to Gipper. Go to Gipper.com and see how athletic directors are creating world-class marketing content for their school social media channels. You can do it on any device, and you don't need any design experience. It's so easy. Even I can do it. Go to Gipper.com and tell them you heard about it on the podcast. Use our code ADPOD10, and you'll get 10% off. That's Gipper.com. Create custom content for your school's social media channel. We also want to say thanks to Huddle. Go to Huddle.com and change the way you see the game. As a football coach, I used Huddle for years. But when I became an athletic director, I made sure our school was a Huddle school. And our coaches just love the smart cameras, the mobile apps. Of course, they love the analytics. But Huddle provided us with the tools to help our teams, our coaches, and our athletes play at the highest level. Go to Huddle.com. And you're going to find a complete solution for the challenges you face as an athletic director. At Huddle, we believe in sports and teams believe in Huddle. Join the 6 million users and find out how to turn your school into a Huddle school. We also want to say thanks to Snap Mobile. Go to snapraise.com and check out their entire suite of platforms designed to help you as an athletic director do your job better. There's Snap Store to order custom gear. Snap Manage is their website development platform. Snap Connect is their family engagement suite. And Snap Raise is their fundraising platform. We use Snap Raise with great success, and so can you. Uh, they've helped schools just like yours raise over $700 million. And they even have a program where you can get your funding before you actually start your fundraiser. I don't think anybody else has that. Go to snapraise.com and check them out today. That's snapraise.com. Welcome back, everyone, to the Educational 80 Podcast. Once again, our guests today are Nancy and Gwen, excuse me, Liz Jorgensen, uh, who have written a book about Nancy's daughter and Liz's sister, Gwen Jorgensen, who was uh, the very first gold medal winner for the United States in the sport of Olympic sport. Of triathlon so uh very cool book i've read it we're going to talk about it now nancy uh maybe give our listeners a little bit of background um uh, you know about when about you know the what inspired you to write the book obviously it's your daughter uh and maybe the process you know how did it all play out for you right um 
from the time that Gwen started in professional sports, she has been dedicated to helping out the next generation. And in the beginning, she volunteered with Boys and Girls Clubs of America. Um, when she got a little further into the sport and was having some financial success, she and her husband started the Gwen Jorgensen Scholarship Fund, which was for junior triathletes. They put in some seed money of their own and generated all these donations from um, uh, apparel company and just um, people associated with triathlon and gave back to the triathlon community by giving out this money, um, usually multiple winners in a year. Uh, but then also Gwen never gave any money without mentoring, speaking of mentors, um, whoever those winners were. And she's kind of a shy person. And so in the beginning, she just, she wasn't sure she wanted to make that personal contact. And her husband convinced her, he said, Gwen, that those kids are just gonna be so thrilled when you get on the phone with them. And that's exactly what happened. You know, she would say, if you have a question, give me a call. And I think to announce the winners, she would give them a call and say, you know, hi, this is Gwen Jorgensen. You're the winner of our, our Gwen Jorgensen Scholarship Fund. And um, that personal connection made so much of a difference to those young girls and, and young men. And so um, after Gwen won the, the gold medal, she obviously knew that Elizabeth, Elizabeth and I have done a lot of writing projects together and we'd written another book and we'd kind of tossed this idea around about a book about Gwen. And she said, you know, if you're going to do this, I really want you to do it with the target audience being young kids. I, I, I would like what I've done to be an inspiration. I, I want what I've done to, to make a difference to the next generation. And so we, the three of us really partnered on this, on this book. Um, because Elizabeth and I are writers and Gwen is um, an athlete, <laughs> busy with her own activities, um, Elizabeth and I did most of putting the words on the paper, but Gwen um, was very active in, in reading it and correcting us and um, kind of sending us in different directions that she thought would be appropriate for the book and, and beneficial for, for young readers. And so that's, that's kind of the genesis of, of how it happened. And she had some themes that she really wanted us to address. Um, you know, when Gwen was younger, she put a lot of her self-worth in her performances. And if she didn't have a PR at a meet, she took that personally. Um, she would internalize that and think that she was a bad person and that she didn't work hard and it was all her fault. And if only, and she wanted that to be a real central theme in the book that your outcomes are not a reflection of who you are. And so, you know, she had these things that she knew young people could really relate to. And, you know, I think, of course, athletes will be attracted to the book, but the themes apply to artists, to musicians, to, you know, if you want to be a chef, I think what whatever you're looking for, these same concepts can apply. And so we do hope that a kid picks it up and enjoys it and learns from it. Uh, again, and you, you both did such a great job, you know, in telling the story, um, you know, your sister, Gwen, uh, she actually had a goal, uh, of being an Olympic champion when she was in grade school. Uh, you know, talk a little bit about that. Um, yeah, you know, I remember she, um, she was just so obsessed with swimming and, and wanted to be this world-class swimmer. Um, and then, uh, 
just out of selfish reasons, I signed her up for a track camp because Elizabeth was going to track camp. And I thought, well, I can save some carpooling. Took them both to track camp. And Gwen, being so competitive and with very little experience in track, was doing this warm up. And the coach had them running backwards. And um, she wanted to she wanted to win the the backwards race, which was the wrong thing to do. Ended up breaking her arm ended up in the hospital in a cast for many weeks. Um, but what did she do when she had the cast on? She read Olympic biographies. And so she was, um, she just, um, she had, she's always had big goals. And I think that was, that was one of her big goals. She um, ended up a pretty good swimmer, but never went on the, on a national team. This was kind of her, you know, this was another theme I think that we want to show in the book that, um, she, she wanted this so badly and then kind of tapped out on swimming. She did not get a scholarship in college. She was a walk-on at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And after two years, the coaches kind of said, you know, I think you're done with this. I, I think maybe you better find something else. And, and she went back then to someone who had noticed her talent in high school when she was in high school and swimming one of Elizabeth's track coaches um, noticed that Gwen looked like a runner when she was out on just kind of a, a cross training run. And I was like, good luck. Gwen is not a runner. Gwen is a swimmer. All she wants is to swim. And I said to my coach, good luck with that. <laughs> in the end, when she was in college, this is after high school, after he'd recognized this talent, she went back to him and he helped her pursue running. And it ended up she being that she was a better runner than she was a swimmer. And I think, you know, some of the, the points here are that sometimes you have a talent that you don't even recognize you have. You're so passionate about something else, but there's you have other talents. And she listened to the people who were experts and who recognized her talents. And she was willing to go back and explore some of what was inside of herself and discover those talents that she hadn't recognized herself. And that high school coach was persistent, but he was also realistic. Like he knew Gwen was never going to give up swimming, even though she was a better runner than she was a swimmer. And so he made some concessions and just sort of said, you know, we can make both of these things work. And I see that now sometimes in high school that kids are so specialized in one thing. And if they would just open up maybe a little bit to a different possibility or an alternate I don't know, view of how things can happen. Um, I know Eric Lehman, he just was so patient with Gwen and with her obsession and encouraging. And in the end, like Gwen would not be where she is if it weren't for what Eric saw and then slowly nurtured over the course of, I mean, how many years? All of high school and then all of college? I think well, that's special. Uh, again, in, in the book, there were some early signs of her running uh, prowess. The uh, uh, the president's physical fitness uh, run. Uh, go and share that little story with our listeners. Yeah, when Gwen was in whatever year that was that um, that they do those those fitness exams, um, they had they had paced out around the building, around the school building. It'd be four laps um, to complete a mile, and all the kids started together, the boys, the girls, and she goes around once and she goes around twice. She comes around and um, she was a very good runner. And so she was in the lead and she crossed the, by the teacher who was, who had the stopwatch. 
and waited for her time. And the teacher said, Gwen, there's no way you could have done it that fast. You must have to do another lap. Keep going. And I mean, she was devastated. She was, she's always been this perfectionist who has to get straight A's and has to be the best in this and the best in that. And, and she always very um, honest too, and just prided herself on, on her conscience and, and being honest about things. And so for the, the Fayette teacher to accuse her of either, either lying or miscounting was just devastating for her. And she, she ran another lap. But at that point, you know, her time had been destroyed. And, um, and, you know, I think for little kids, that's it, it sounds like a small thing. Well, she had to run another lap, but um, it, it was an important achievement to her and, and she missed out on it. And how those things stay with you yeah, and absolutely. how instrumental mm -hmm. they can be in your motivation or how you then deal with people in the future. You know, it's just it's interesting which stories you remember from when you're little. And I think um in in the book uh it, it talked about you know she uh uh you know didn't want to you know see the kids that were way behind you know uh feel bad and so again you know her competitiveness but also you know her empathy you know for others um uh, it, was, it was a great story again a great book um for our listeners uh once again our guests today are the authors of Gwen Jorgensen USA's first uh Olympic gold medalist in the triathlon uh, the authors are her mother, Nancy, and her sister, Elizabeth. We're going to take another break, but we're going to hear more about the book and about Gwen. So please stay with us. This is the Educational AD Podcast. We want to say thanks to Sideline Interactive, indoor scoring tables and video boards. You've heard me say before, one of the best purchases I ever made was our Sideline Interactive indoor score table. We use it for home games, of course, but we also use it for pep rallies, for signing ceremonies. It's tremendously versatile, and their customer service is just outstanding. Go to sidelineinteractive.com and schedule a live web demo and see their tables and their boards in action. They not only generate income for your athletic department, but they also create the ultimate game day experience for your student-athletes. That's sidelineinteractive.com. Check them out today. Welcome back, everyone, to the Educational 80 Podcast. We're visiting with Nancy and Liz Jorgensen, the authors of Gwen Jorgensen, USA's first Olympic gold medalist in the triathlon. Um, there's so many great, um, you know, lessons in the book. I can't phrase it any other way. Um, what are some of the ones that you feel are most or can be most impactful for readers. Uh, I know you, you talk about the book being named at, at young adults and particularly girls, uh, um, which I, I think is spot on, but um, what are some lessons that you think our, our listeners, our athletic directors and coaches uh, can take away from the book? And for, for me, there are a ton, but what are some of your favorites? You want me to go, mom? Sure. Go ahead. <laughs> the, you know, the process versus outcome. I think is a huge one that kids want to say, I want to get this time, or I want to score this many points. They're very outcome driven. I want to make the, 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 the top state team or whatever. And we can't control outcomes. The only thing that we can control is our process. And I think that that is a huge lesson. I see that in my classroom. Um, I tell my students that we're going to write every day. 
And we're going to see progress, but progress is not linear. We're not just going to go from here straight up, that we're going to have some days where things are going to be off, that we're going to be dealing with a breakup or the passing of a pet or something, right, where we're just not going to be fully in it. And that's okay, that if we just show up and we put in the work that we will see over time that our writing improves um, and that what we can control is the process, the small things that we do every day, be that nutrition or hydration or um, just sitting down and putting 200 words on paper, what, whatever our, our process goal is. Um, I think it gives kids a lot of ownership too, that they realize, oh, I can control uh, these things. And that if they do them alongside their coach, their teacher, their mentor, that they're going to get some tips or some tricks, or let's try this differently this time. Um, you know, it's, it's the way that I structure my classroom. And I know that it's the way that Gwen has had her performance environment structured with her, um, the people that she trains with and also her coaches. What are you thinking, mom? Uh, yeah, kind of what you ended with there is what I was thinking about the importance of surrounding yourself with a good team of people. And that would include on the one hand, coaches, um, massage therapists, nutrition experts. Um, Gwen made a point of doing that. She researched who she could train with. She found who she deemed the best coach for her, um, who happened to be in New Zealand. Um, she also trusted her husband who gave up his career to kind of be her, not her manager, but to manage things for her. You know, he cooked for her and did a lot of travel arrangements. Um, and so she, she, and she listened to those people. First she hired them and then she listened to them and took their advice. And then I think also along that idea of surrounding yourself with a good team, she intentionally put herself in a team of other athletes who were at least as good or superior to her and challenged her every challenged herself every single day with those people that she was training with and so when she moved to new zealand to join this coach jamie turner who um, she chose um, she knew that those people that she would be training with every day would be better than she was in many ways. There were stronger swimmers. There were stronger bikers. Um, there were runners who were at least as good as she was. And so she challenged herself, but made friends with those people. The competition became her daily friends in, in training. And then they would go to the start line. Well, you know, <laughs> friendships were still there, but the competition overrode any any friendships for the moment. And then they crossed the finish line. And once again, they were friends. She did the same thing when she transitioned from triathlon to marathon. She researched a group that would challenge her. And so she moved to um, Portland, Oregon for the sole purpose of putting herself in that Bowerman Trek um, club and running with Shalane Flanagan and some of the best people in the world because she knew that they would they would challenge her and so there's you know there's surrounding yourself with that um, both the coaching and the competition you know you you both kind of led into my next question um, you know one of the things we try to do with this podcast is the idea of sharing best practices uh, and 
you know, from a leadership standpoint, you know, Liz, you know, you're, you know, recognized uh, as I read your bio, you know, one of the top educators in the country, uh, Nancy, you know, you published uh, in a variety of uh, um, uh, periodicals. So obviously, you know, a little bit about leadership and very successful, you know, educators as well. You know, what are some nuggets that you can, and again, you just did, but what are some more nuggets that you can give to our listeners about leadership uh, best practices? Uh, any more come to mind? You know, I, I like this idea of feedback as neutral data that how can we frame feedback that we give in a way that our student or our, our athlete can hear it and then not take it personally, not be offended by it, but use it successfully to make their practice better. Um, that's, it's hard for people to do that, to ask for feedback and then to accept it and then to apply it. And so how can we help them see it as neutral data and use it to make them better every day? Um, you know, I also think this idea of role models too is is great. That if we can give kids, I don't know, somebody to look up to, somebody to connect with and lead by example. Like I, I show up every day and I'm not my best every day, but I try. And, you know, I have a smile on my face and I'm high energy. And like, I always go in thinking, I can't expect my students to be more excited than I am. And so I, you know, I just, I try to be that kind of leader and not that they would necessarily say, I want to be like Miss Jorgensen, but that they, you know, and the, the, they write me at the end of each semester, some reflections on the progress that they've made. And over and over, that's one of the things that they comment on is my energy that they, they come to class knowing I'm going to be positive and encouraging and that that's something that they just have come to expect and the environment then that presents for their ability to try things that maybe they wouldn't have tried before because they know it's a safe space. And then also knowing that my feedback I'm not trying to downgrade them. I'm not trying to hurt them. I The only thing I'm doing with their, my feedback is trying to make them better writers. We're a team working together and being really explicit with that, like telling the kids I'm on your side and then showing that in my energy, in my words, in, in, in everything that I, I do and then owning it, right? If I have a bad day, just saying I'm, I'm off today, I'm having a bad day or whatever it is and then showing up again the next day and giving it my all. <laughs> Yeah. What are you thinking, uh, mom? <laughs> I, I'm going to jump in there real quick. And yeah. again, I, I love the part. It was all great, but really, uh, you know, you talked about, you know, being enthusiastic, you know, as, as teachers, as coaches, as leaders, you know, if we're not excited about what we're doing, you know, how can we expect the kids, the students, or if we're working with adults, the adults to be excited? Uh, so again, that, that one really uh, spoke to me. Nancy, uh, sorry to cut you off there. Oh, that's okay. Um, I was thinking when about when I was teaching, we we structured our program so that we tried to create leaders. We tried to make leaders out of the kids. Um, and so every senior in our top group was given um, a leadership role. And, you know, some of the most coveted ones were dance captain or vocal captain or acting captain. But we had a lot of seniors and, you know, they couldn't all be the dance captain. And so we created these positions, um, hoping that, that, that it would nurture this kind of leadership. And some of them, you know, I, you'd think, well, who wants to be the photography captain or um, who wants to be the captain of calling the newspaper, the, the press captain? Um, but 
kids somehow found a role that they were good at. And we would have kids who came to us and they would lobby, you know, I, I would really like to be the photography captain this year. Maybe they wanted to be a photographer, you know, later on. And um, not every kid in our top vocal group was going to be a vocal performance major. You know, we had kids who wanted to be doctors and lawyers and all kinds of things. And so, um, and some of those kids for four years looked forward not only to being in that top group, but to being a captain in that top group. And so I, I just really thought it was important, and I still do, for coaches, um, teachers to find ways to nurture that kind of leadership so that their kids can be leaders for the next, the next group. And that, that, that was the case for our seniors, you know, boy, those seniors were looked up to and they, um, they were also each assigned a freshman or an underclassman um, personally. And so that just that, that whole desire to be a leader and developing the skills to be the leader and showing that it's, um, it's a desirable thing to do was part of our program. It was, it was just kind of endemic in what we did. Yeah, that is, uh, you know, leadership 101, you know, for teachers, for coaches, for athletic directors is is understanding that just because a kid is a senior uh, doesn't qualify them on, on its own, you know, to be a captain or be a leader. You know, and it's our job as educators, teachers, coaches, et cetera, to help kids find and develop those skills that are going to help them become you know, effective leaders, uh, whether they're seniors or not, you know, very good stuff. We should have done this earlier, but we're going to do it now. Uh, obviously, you know, we want people to buy the book. I want people to buy the book. Um, what's uh, the best way for them to find and purchase the book? And also for you two as leaders, uh, if somebody wants to reach out and pick your brain, what's the best way that they can get in touch with you? Um, you know, Liz, let's go and start with you. What's your, uh, how, you how do people uh, find out more about Liz? <laughs> yeah, you can get the book wherever books are sold. You know, most people, I think, just go to Amazon. Um, but we also have signed copies that are available at a local bookstore. And, of course, we always encourage people to shop local when they can. Um, and so you can drop that link into the show notes. But it's Books and Company in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. <laughs> um, probably easier to go to the show notes. Uh, you can also find our educator guide free through our publisher. So we have aligned some activities and lessons with the standards and our book. So we're hoping that coaches can pick this up and use it easily alongside their their kids as they read the book, then they have some activities that can go along with it. Um, you can get more information on our websites. I'm lizjorgensen.weebly.com and mom is nancyjorgensen.weebly.com. And a big part of the book is letters where Gwen writes letters to herself and also letters to the reader. And Gwen has encouraged readers of the book to write to her. And so if kids do that, the best way is just to put the letter right into Gwen's uh, DM on Instagram or Facebook or whatever medium they're using. Um, and she will do her best to get back to them. And again, that was another cool uh, thing I liked in the book is, uh, you know, the uh, lessons and uh, speaking directly, you know, to the reader. Good stuff. We're not done yet. We've got one more segment. And then, of course, we'll finish with our AD Toolbox uh, uh, segment. But uh, for our listeners, our guests today are uh, Liz and Nancy Jorgensen, the authors of Gwen Jorgensen. USA's first Olympic athlete in the triathlon or Olympic gold medalist in the triathlon. 
We're going to take another break, but we're almost done with our breaks. Uh, please stay with us. This is the Educational AD Podcast. We want to say thank you to Final Forms for their support of the podcast. Go to finalforms.com, and they're going to help you prepare for your best season ever. Final Forms will help you ensure compliance at the state and local level. They're going to let you communicate better with your stakeholders, your coaches, and your athletes. And they're going to help you as an athletic director handle all the reports that come across your desk. Uh, Final Forms is going to give stakeholders reminders about policies, about physical deadlines. They're going to help your coaches with their rosters. They'll help you with eligibility and so much more. You know, it's time that you talk to a team that's walked in your shoes. Somebody who gets it. To take the next steps, go to finalforms.com slash Jake and find out all the things that Final Forms can do for you. That's finalforms.com slash Jake. Do it today. Welcome back, everyone, to the Educational AD Podcast. Um, we've been talking with the authors of the book, Gwen Jorgensen, USA's first Olympic gold medal triathlete. Uh, it's all about um, Nancy's uh, daughter and um, Liz's sister, uh, Gwen Jorgensen, um, and her life, uh, you know, growing up, competing as a swimmer, you know, finding the triathlon, um, having some uh, success and some setbacks, and then ultimately, you know, winning the gold medal. Um, uh, there are just so many different ways that I think this book is cool for our listeners, athletic directors, coaches, and leaders, and for, you know, other people as well. But Nancy, um, you, you mentioned some things in, um, um, you know, the notes about the book that uh, I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here. So uh, one of them was uh, you talked about how Gwen stress uh, stressed and stresses the importance of cheering and celebrating competitors' wins. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that idea? I think the basis of that is that if you can celebrate your competitors' wins, it will make you a better athlete as well. Um, you know, even when Gwen was just starting swimming, her very favorite events were the relays. She loved to be on a relay. Well, when you think about a relay, um, you're not going to win that relay unless the people who are on the relay with you are also doing well. And so within your own team, you know, it's to your benefit to celebrate the wins of your teammates because very likely that could come back and um, and benefit you. Not that not that every win or not that everything that you do has to be a benefit to you personally, but um, that's kind of a little bonus that if you celebrate your your teammates' wins right along with your own, it, um, it might come back to help you. And you know, I talked a little bit before about how Gwen chose to be on these teams that were. Um, that had had competitors who were better than she was. And she put herself in that position um, to improve herself. And so when she was with the uh, Bowerman Track Club and Shalane Flanagan had, she had, it was her brainchild to put together the best people in the world to train together, to inspire each other. And her philosophy was, if one of us is better, we will all be better. And Gwen really connected with that and um, 
put herself in situations like that, knowing that if she if she cheered on her competitors, they were just going to get better and better, and that would inspire her to be better and better. And it's it, it was a mindset um, of camaraderie and working together and and helping each other out because in the end, Shalane was right. If one is better, then we are all better. Um, I'm thinking it, you know, it kind of relates back to that whole title nine thing too. You know, um, if, you know, once you make that, that step of progress, it, it helps everybody. And, and again, you're talking about the relays. Uh, I was a track guy in high school and college and uh, just loved the four by 400 relay. And uh, you're absolutely right. You know, being a part of that team and seeing uh, other people's success. Um, great, great lesson. Um, well, and the four by four is so great. Cause it's like at the end of the meet, everyone <laughs> comes together to cheer right. it on and so many times you need those points, right? It's like, are mm -hmm. we going to win as a team? And everyone's cheering on those kids and the four by four, and they know how hard it is. Like, you know, you are dead tired by the end of that, <laughs> that race. But. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. I, I would sell that as a coach. I would sell that to our athletes. It's the most important event. That's why they save it to the very end. Okay. Yes. And the most torturous, maybe 300 hurdles. Is that the only one? That's worse. Uh, well, that was my main event in college, the 400 hurdles. Yeah. So uh, oh, you love the yeah. pain train. Yeah. Well, I, I I wasn't as fast as a 400 meter runner, but I was a little tougher, maybe, so I could do those 400 hurdles. Um, let's, uh, Liz, we're going to put you on the spot. Uh, another one of um, you know Gwen's uh, points. She mentions um, the idea of having fun and enjoying the process, you know, that training that you, you and I just talked about as track people, having fun and enjoying the process trumps a gold medal. Um, can you explain, uh, you know, again, from your perspective, you know, why Gwen felt that that was true? Yeah. I mean, Gwen coming out of college did not even know what triathlon was. Team USA found her and said, we think on paper, you could be an Olympic triathlete. And when she had never ridden a bike where you clip in, like she, she knew nothing about uh, road bikes or triathlon and she believed them, you know, they, they did some convincing and they, they helped her believe them, but she never felt like it was her passion. Like it wasn't something that she dove into because she wanted to. Um, but she found that at the end of each day, if she could identify three things that she did well, in addition to three things that she could improve upon, that that helped her um, take control over her process and also enjoy and give her some confidence, right? If you write down every day for a week or for a month or for six months, three things that you've done well, when you show up on that start line and you look back at those journal entries, you've got some real confidence. Like, look at all of these things that I can do, that I have done, that I've demonstrated. I think we know that what's fun we return to, like we want to come back and try harder and keep going at it. Um, Gwen, she ended up, you know, after she won the gold medal, she transitioned from triathlon to running. And part of the reason was because swimming wasn't fun anymore. She said that she dreaded going into the pool, doing those pool workouts and having some distance now. She just recently announced that she's going back to triathlon and her goal is to make the Paris Olympics, mostly to do the relay um, in the triathlon, which wasn't an Olympic sport when she was in, um, in the Rio Olympics. And she said that 
what she's now found is that it's her choice and this makes it so fun. Like she's enjoying pool workouts again in a way that she didn't before. Um, and just, yeah, I think, you know, we, we, we know that as people that what we enjoy, we, we really dive into and we, we can have some success and fun with. Yeah. Again, coaching 101, you know, you're trying to convince the kids that it's their idea. Uh, but, uh, I, I, I can definitely see how that's cool. Well, now I'm, I've, I've got another person I can, uh, you know, root for, uh, you know, going to the Olympics, Nancy and Liz, this has been so cool. Uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast, but we're not done yet. Uh, we always wrap up with what we call the athletic director's toolbox. Now, uh, you know, you both know your way around the, you know, the world of, uh, athletics, uh, but in just a minute. Uh, I'm going to challenge you to send out a brand new athletic director or coach or leader on their very first job. But I'm only going to let you put three things in their toolbox. So uh, we're going to take our final break and hear from Athletic Surveys, who sponsor this segment. And when we come back, we're going to find out what Nancy Jorgensen and Liz Jorgensen are going to put into their athletic director toolbox. Please stay with us. We want to say thanks to Athletic Surveys by Lifetrack for sponsoring the AD Toolbox. Athletic Surveys are a quick, easy, and affordable way for you to collect comprehensive data that allows you to evaluate and improve your entire athletic program. Athletic directors usually only hear from that 2%, that uh, squeaky wheel parent or maybe a frustrated student athlete, and we need to hear from them so we can affect change in our program. But we also need to hear from the 98% that really love and appreciate our athletic programs. And athletic surveys can provide you with that information. And it's tremendously valuable when you're meeting with that frustrated parent or with your principal or with your school board to let them know that, you know, hey, our parents really do love our programs. If you've never used a survey to take the pulse of your parents or your student athletes, you're really missing out. Go to athleticsurveys.com and find out how they can provide a custom survey to you and your program to help you take it from good to great. That's athleticsurveys.com. Well, uh, it's that time of the podcast. We have been visiting with Liz and Nancy Jorgensen, the authors of a great book, Gwen Jorgensen, USA's first Olympic gold medalist in the triathlon. Really need to check it out. It's on Amazon. We'll give you a couple other sources on where to get it. Uh, but right now, we're going to challenge each one of them uh, to send out a brand new athletic director or leader on their very first job, but we're only going to let them put three items in that toolbox. Uh, Liz, I guess we're going to start with you first. What three items are going to go into your new athletic director toolbox? Growth mindset, I think, is number one for me. I want that person to see the obstacles, see the landscape, and then think, okay, here's what I can do with it. Here's how I can take that and use it to my advantage. Or here's what I learned that then I can apply in a different way. Um, I think that it's easy to see all the negatives and then just think, there's nothing I can do about it. This is going nowhere. It's always been this way. So it always has to be this way. And 
that is not the tool that I want. I want them to see those things and think, okay, I know what hasn't worked. How can I, who do I know? What's my team around me that I can call on to make it better? Um, I'm thinking in my classroom, um, I didn't want to do grading anymore because I saw like the detriments of putting an A or a B or a C on a poem or an essay or whatever. And I had this growth mindset. And so I reached out to people and said, here's what I'm thinking. I want to assess the process, not the outcome. How can I do it? And yeah, I was told no sometimes, but I just kept working at it. And the end result is now what I wanted. And I want the same thing for those athletic directors. Take take that growth mindset and keep working at it. Yeah, uh, very cool. Um, uh, I, I guess we're going to alternate on this one. So Nancy, uh, what's your first tool that's going to go into your new athletic director toolbox? I would like the athletic director to have a whole repertoire of compliments. I think praise, genuine praise, sincere praise for a job well done just goes so far. Um, or just even, it, it, even if it isn't a job, but it may be a talent. When I was teaching choir, I tried not to be behind the piano at the front of the room. We would get the kids singing and I would wander among the rows. And if I heard a voice, I might turn to some kid as I did one day. And I said, wow, you just have a beautiful voice. Well, that came back to me from that kid's parent. They said, you just turned everything around that day when you, all, all they all they needed to hear was that they had a talent. And I think um, ADs in relating to kids individually, but also with staff can get so much done with a compliment by saying, you know, you did a really good job at this, or I, I think you have a talent for such and such, maybe you should pursue that. Um, and to have to have that ready to say when you recognize a strength in someone else, um, not only strengthens your own role, but gives them um, a boost in what they're doing. Oh, you're, you're so right. You know, that, uh, you know, they say in coaching, you know, for every, you know, correction, you should give, you know, whatever it is, three, five, 10 encouragements. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Great stuff. All right, Liz, back to you. Uh, what's tool number two in your toolbox? Get a coach. You have some goals. You know what you want to achieve. Who can help you? Find that mentor. Find that inspiration. And then set up like, okay, make it really deliberate. Like I'm looking to you to be my mentor. And then set up what that means. Um, are you going to check in weekly? Are you going to check in monthly? How are you going to hold yourself accountable um, to that relationship? Uh, we all need somebody like that and find somebody. Uh, again, in our profession as educators, you know, you, you, I don't think you can overemphasize the importance of, you know, having that mentor, that leader uh, involved in your life. Okay, good stuff. Uh, Nancy, back to you. Uh, okay. What's tool number two for you? <laughs> I'm going to say trust. When I was working with an AD, the, my best experiences were when that, <clears throat> that person in leadership trusted my own judgment. And because the AD was generally not a musician, they were more focused on or trained in athletics. Um, I did my best work when the, when the AD said, you're the expert in music, um, I think you should make this decision or give me the reasons why you want to do such and such and invested in me, trusted in, in my professional um, expertise. And I, I just felt like the kids benefit 
uh, they benefited, I benefited by it. And I think the overall program, the AD benefited when, when they trusted that each individual coach knew their job and was going to make the best decision possible. You know, late in my career, uh, I was still an athletic director, but I had been given, uh, I guess, uh, oversight over activities. And that included, you know, band and drama and, you know, the, the music department and was very, um, fortunate to have just some outstanding leaders in that area, which I knew nothing about. Uh, and we just, you know, when we had our staff meetings you know, with all our head coaches, we would have those uh, leaders involved as well uh, because they had great ideas. And we, you know, again, I was very selfish. I wanted our programs to, to be the best they could be. So I was going to have those great leaders in there to share what they had. Um, Nancy, we're going to come back and let you go first. With the last tool, because uh, I know you're concerned that Liz might take all yours. So, uh, <laughs> Nancy, what's your third and final tool that's going to go into your new athletic director toolbox? It would be the the ability and the desire to collaborate, to not try to do everything on your own. I just think um, my whole career was built on working with other choir directors and so many times put two people in a room and the ideas, the good ideas are multiplied, not by two, but many fold that more people on a team um, will increase the benefit for everybody. And I, I think the, having those skills to know how to collaborate with people of different personalities, um, of different skills, of different knowledge bases, um, just makes the whole the whole project increase in value for everybody. Oh, ab absolutely, and and again, that's a tool that I learned to use way too late in my career. Uh, I it took me a, a while to to learn to delegate uh, and let go, and at the same time, you know, reach out and collaborate with others. So, thanks for sharing that. All right, Liz, bring us home. What's your third tool? It's going to go into your new athletic director toolbox. It's a full and regenerative, regenerative uh, night of sleep. Every night, I hope you get eight, nine, ten hours, whatever you did. You know, I was going to say that, Mom. No, but that it makes sense. That's oh, you. Yes, it does. I'm I'm a big sleeper because I know that it allows me to show up as my best self. It's like that whole thing when you're on the airplane and they say, you know, if we're going down, you put on your air mech, um, oxygen mask first before helping somebody else. Whatever that is for the athletic director, it's probably sleep, nutrition, hydration. You know, you take care of you so that you can give your best self to the people who, who are looking to you to lead. Great, great stuff. I just finished working with a team of athletic directors where we're talking about, um, you know, self-care and, 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 you know, allowing yourself to make sure you're doing your job for the longest time possible at the highest level, you know, very good stuff. Uh, Nancy Jorgensen and Liz Jorgensen, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. I know we did it uh, once and it's going to be in the show notes, but one more time, uh, let's give out the name of the book where to get it, and then also how to get in touch with each of you. Best way to get in touch with us is through our websites, lizjorgensen.weebly.com. And, and nancyjorgensen.weebly.com. You can also find us on social media. I'm on Twitter. I'm very active at Liza Joe, L-Y-Z-A-J-O. Mom is? Nancy Jorgensen. 
And same thing, if anyone wants to contact Gwen, you can find her on all the social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Mm -hmm. Um, And if any young reader does want to write to Gwen, she's hoping that she can respond to each and every one of them. So please do uh, drop your letter into her direct message. Mm -hmm. And then if you're looking for the book, you can find it on Amazon, or we do have signed copies um, at Books and Company in Oconomowoc, uh, Wisconsin. You can find that URL in the show notes, along with the free educator guide. And mom and I are willing to give author talks. Um, So if a sport team is reading the book, and you'd like us to come in and talk about some of the themes or lead them through some workshops, we are more than willing to do that. Just again, contact us through our websites or our social media challenge channels. And mom, the name of the book? Uh, Gwen Jorgensen, USA's first Olympic gold medal triathlete. We hope you pick it up and we hope you love it. Uh, you will love it. I, uh, I can assure you of that. Nancy and Liz Jorgensen, thanks again for being on the podcast. All the best uh, moving forward with the book. And I uh, uh, hope you uh, uh, don't get snowed in today. We are snowed in, but hopefully not tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you so much. It was great. For, for our listeners, um, we do this just about every day. And the Zoom recordings get uploaded to the Educational Lady Podcast YouTube channel. We appreciate you listening. Come back next time for more best practices on the Educational AD Podcast. We'll see you next time.